Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for... Poor little Nebraska needs a break. Can the conference office please help us? Overreaction Monday! It's too hard to play Ohio State and Penn State. We can't do it. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Hi, right, welcome to the Overreaction Monday edition, the Yahoo Sports College podcast. We had 19 games this weekend. When we last spoke, there were like 21, but, you know, <laughs> these things happen. This could be the end of the sub-20, uh, it should be the end of the sub-20 game weekend. Because the SEC is coming online next weekend. So we should be getting some better games. We had a, we had a few. Miami, obviously, we'll get to all of it. UCF and, and things like that. Wanted to start, though, with uh, what happened early Saturday morning, which is the Big Ten schedule release. What I think all of us saw, I think it was well predicted, at least by uh, this podcast, that Nebraska getting a little, little throaty, <laughs> speaking up. <laughs> A little chesty. A little chesty. Suing, pouting, successfully, by the way. Picketing. It's not picketing. <laughs> All sorts of things were going on with Nebraska. And Nebraska immediately gets to start the season. How you like a little Ohio State on the road? That game was scheduled anyway. Uh, it really, does it matter when they play Ohio State? No. But that's not really the way you want to start the season. Take that beat down, you know. Other teams were, you know, like Michigan State was nice and quiet. They didn't say anything, did they? Nope. They get they get Rutgers. <laughs> New coach. Hey, why don't you guys ease into things? Right? Rutgers, they 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 were, well, if anything, they were against coming back. They get Michigan State. They don't, you don't just bury them. Uh, not so much for Nebraska. Now, we can make this up and say we were just uh, seizing on something that wasn't fair, making a mountain, uh, mountain out of a molehill, which we tend to do. But. No less than Bill Moose, the AD, agrees. I mean, this is a great quote. For obvious reasons, I was hoping we could dissemble the schedule because of unique circumstances and rebuild it to be fair for each school in the conference, Moose told the Omaha World Herald on Saturday. I was outspoken on that to the point where they heard it from me every day. I bet they did. Mm -hmm. The rationale was there. I didn't think we needed to follow it. Nebraska's playing five AP preseason top 25 teams. Ohio State is playing two. It's kind of a trick with math. Ohio State doesn't have to play itself. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure my friend, Ohio State AD Gene Smith, is smiling today. His friend Bill Moose is not. 
I mean, this is a great. This is great stuff. I've got a good football team with a great football coach that deserves a break here or there to start getting back on track and being a contender in the Big Ten West. Have you? I mean, this is. What was the last time you heard so, this? Other than Nebraska complaining about everything that's happened in the last month, uh, never. But the, in terms of actually like this, complaining about the schedule. No, this is uh, this is remarkable. The thing I, I did like that part. The last sentence you said there. Got a good football team with a great football coach that deserves a break here or there. Poor little Nebraska needs a break. Can the conference office please help us? It's too hard to play Ohio State and Penn State. We can't do it. All like all the teams in the East that have to play them every single year, plus Michigan. Plus Michigan State when Michigan State was good. Oh, Nebraska, we can't do it. We're not good enough. We're just little old Nebraska. We can't do it. Give us a break. Bill Moose has entered what I call the Bayheim phase of his career. <laughs> He's old enough and veteran enough and doesn't care if he gets fired. And he just says exactly what's on his mind. We wish <laughs> everyone in college athletics was in the Bayheim phase because you would get completely unfiltered, completely unvarnished, absolute truth. I like to think that's why people come to this podcast, right? Because we don't pull punches and we call spades spades and we we try to be the only honest people in college sports. Bill Moose is there. No one can stop him. He is just just complete stream of consciousness. Anything that's running through his mind, he is telling any newspaper in Nebraska. And it is wonderful and it should never stop because – it sounds so unbelievably ridiculous that you really just have to embrace it and ask for more. Like, please, please cast Nebraska as the little sisters of the poor. And basically that whole that whole soliloquy that, that Dan just read was like Bill Moose being like, my team could play really well, really well and start one and three. Or it could play bad and start 0 oh and four. And there really aren't any other options <laughs> other than those two. So, man, this is going to be fun to watch unfold. It like, really imagine is. Bill Moose after their 0 4. What's he going to say then? Like, <laughs> Bill oh. Moose, podcast hero, pod- oh, he potential is. podcast man of the year. Completely. We don't invite many people on this podcast, but we would definitely invite Bill Moose on. I also give Bill Moose credit. He's one of the few people to publicly call out Larry Scott, um, you know, over the years in some of the good journalism that's been done out in the West Coast as Scott makes more money than any Pac 12 coach and, like, twice as much as Greg Sankey, and yet the league continues to completely underperform. And Bill Moose has none of it and has completely called him out. So keep firing Bill Moose. We need it. There's great stat today. Or this, I saw, and I'm going to get the slight details wrong, but the major point is the building, the Pac-12 rents, someone purchased for $90 million like 11 years ago, and they've now paid $11 million, $90 million in rent. Yes, <laughs> during that time. Yes. Yeah, so Nebraska is at Ohio State. Wisconsin then comes the next week. Then they're at Northwestern. Then Penn State visits. Um, and so Bill Moose was not happy. I, there's more here. Oh, um, there's more. He wanted only <laughs> divisional gains to count to who wins the division so that he doesn't get the L. To- <laughs> Lost out on that, Moose said. And then you look when we're playing who and where is the definitive disadvantage to Nebraska with a young team opening up at Columbus against the number two team in the nation. Fans or no fans is a giant task, especially when it's the first post COVID game. Ah, brings in COVID. Sure. Yeah. 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 Did you get that? Here's the, 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 the line on that. Well, first time we're on a charter aircraft. Yeah. 
First time we're in a hotel. First time everybody on the sideline has masks on. First time with electronic whistles. Everything's going to be new. <laughs> Only see- for Nebraska. <laughs> None of those things are new for anyone else. First time in a hotel. Game. I didn't feel that had to happen. And then we return to play number 11. It's like, where's like, where's Normandale? Like, <laughs> I believe these measurements are the same as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> First time in a hotel? What kind of hayseeds are you, man? Go rent them a hotel room and teach them how to stay at the Fairfield Inn. What is this? First time in a hotel. Come Unbelievable. on. It's not, it's not the first time these guys have been in a hotel. so bad for Nebraska fans. You know, they can put up with the Longhorn Network, right? We don't need, yeah, Longhorn Network, that's not bad. It's a lot better than getting beat 62 to nothing three what times in the first I mean, four games. Absolutely so young, three-year starting quarterback. Adrian Martinez has started like, you know, 23 games or whatever it is. They got uh, at least four seniors, I think, on the offensive line. We got a senior running back. <laughs> you know, juniors and seniors all over the starting lineup on defense, but they're young. They don't know how to go to a hotel. They don't know. It's just so sad. <laughs> what is going to happen to this hotel? Do the keys in the door? Do you think they've been figured out? Have <laughs> <laughs> to bring God, along so the, the academic counseling people to show them how to open the door? What was what the deal? <laughs> yes, that's the coffee maker. How does make the your breakfast buffet work? <laughs> <laughs> this is an elevator. First time in a hotel. (laughs) Cry me a river. I love, I love Nebraska's heel turn. I'm gonna get I'm I'm gonna get a hundred people from Nebraska. We're not, we're not heels. They don't want to be. They should just be the heel. See, that's the thing, is that Nebraska, they want to be seen as the classiest, the highbrow, but then they're doing everything that a heel does. I mean, come on. I, I'm not. I'm not bashing you for being the heel. I'm enjoying it. Oh my god! First time. I mean, even Nebraska fans got a cringe. First time at a hotel. I think they'll make <laughs> it in the mean streets of Columbus. I'm sure, they're staying at a decent spot. <laughs> you know, Maryland. Maryland, who has to play Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State every single year, has got to be listening to this saying, "Really." Really going to complain about playing Ohio State and Penn State in the same year? You go right ahead. I certainly appreciate Nebraska's work, but uh, yeah, you got to win before you start really complaining. This yeah. this league is run by two teams, one deservedly, <laughs> one <laughs> based on history, <laughs> one based on helmets. <laughs> right. There's only four schools that really like like where it's where it's big. You know, like big states, big, nothing against Iowa, Nebraska, but they don't have enough people like this is a Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. Wisconsin's gotten in there. A lot of these other states have a ton of people, but they don't really care about college football. Not that big of a deal in Illinois. Just Mm isn't Indiana. eh, They're more Notre Dame fans than anything. Those four schools and then lots of people, you get huge TV numbers. And because of that, you make a lot of money in this league, but. Don't forget where the the bread gets buttered. So I don't know. I mean, Ohio State and and Nebraska are kind of like, you know, they do have like this little brother in arms thing where they they fought the hardest to return. So does Ryan Day go easy? Uh, When he gets up 55 to six, he will then avoid going, avoid hitting 60. Yeah. (laughs) 
so. There's there's some ties between uh, Frost and Day because uh, Frost was Chip Kelly's coordinator out in Oregon, and that's obviously. I mean, Chip Kelly recruited Ryan Day to be the quarterback at UNH. They grew up in the uh, in the same town in New Hampshire, so there's there's a little uh, there's a little bit a little bit of crossover there, and uh, all these Big Ten coaches have been hairdressers. They've all been talking to each other, you know, so. Does that really factor in in the third quarter when, when Ryan Day sends in the twos? I doubt it, you know. Uh, but, yeah, at least, like, it's not a, oh, he doesn't like him. They're going to really, you know, put the, you know, this isn't right. like the second half of the Michigan game where they're just going to delight in hanging 62 on uh, on Don Brown again. Yeah, there was, remember, that was the, the quote that Day supposedly said to his team or whatever about that, about playing Michigan, said that we're going for 60 or whatever the heck it was. 100, or, wasn't yeah. it? I think it was 100. Maybe it was 100. Yeah, 100 points. That's very bold. Well, I thought, you know, other than the uh, other than our friends at Nebraska giving us more fodder, I I thought if 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 I woke up on on Saturday a Michigan fan, I would not be thrilled at like dangerous games to start. I don't think Michigan State's any good. I think the roster's terrible. They don't have a quarterback, so I'm not worried about that if I'm a Michigan fan. But at Minnesota could be like that Wisconsin game last year, just set up terrible terrible precedent for your season at indiana sneaky dangerous but not bad um but boy that is not that is not an easy easy schedule if you're uh if if you're michigan that's not a that's not a pat in the back from the uh from from the conference office in uh in, in my opinion because you're you're at minnesota and you're wisconsin at home in your uh in your west crossover games which are i think the two hardest west crossover games you could probably have other than maybe at Wisconsin or something like that. But I, I would, I thought, well, and again, some of this stuff was predetermined. I'm not like a schedule wonk, but like it, they, they had to basically, they took the same games and then cut yeah. one out. Um, right. Is that right, Pat? Yeah. So yes. there was not. Yes. Yeah. And so like the, there, there was no, like, let's <laughs> like what the sec did. Let's put Vanderbilt and Missouri on the road for nine straight games <laughs> against <laughs> Alabama and LSU every time. But, but there was, That's there was some ways maybe like if you're trying out Michigan, you don't, you don't send them to Minneapolis week one. Um, I, that's a really intriguing game. Like I'm, I'm excited about that game. I think, you know, my big overreaction from Saturday and it, God, I loved watching college football for 12 hours. Don't get me wrong, but was like, boy, can't wait for the next couple of weeks, and that's that's a game I'm I'm, I'm fired up. Do, what did you guys think? Do you think am I overstating that Michigan schedule? No, it's toughy. I mean, it's it's challenging, no doubt about it. And I mean, again, it was going to be to begin with. So, but the uh, the 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 way it's ordered presents uh, some additional challenges to them for sure. Um, and that's I mean, they've got. A few weeks to get going. And, and Harbaugh was one of the guys that said, I, all I need is three weeks. So we're going to find out. If all he needs yeah. is three weeks, well, we'll see. Can you can you pull that thing together uh, that quickly? They had four offensive linemen drafted. I think one of the, the, the huge personnel moves that happened this week was Jalen Mayfield, their tackle, who's you know one of the five best offensive tackle prospects in the upcoming draft. He came back. So he opted back in um, and isn't expected to have any issues. Because you, you got... Milton starting at quarterback, right? Who's new? You have Nico Collins, who opted out at receiver, and so basically, and you have Zach Charbonneau at tailback. He's a very good tailback, very you know serviceable Big Ten tailback. But like, you can't think four new starters now. Tariq Black's playing for Texas. He looks pretty good for them. So you lose Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Nico, all you know, all gone, and that wasn't exactly like a dominant receiver group, right? 
they had big names, but they weren't exactly dominant. So you have a new quarterback throwing to basically a whole new crop of receivers being with the all the new blockers also being new. That is probably not a good recipe to go on the road to start. And they have to stay in hotels. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Maybe they Airbnb. Insurmountable. Maybe they Airbnb it. You know, that's how they get around the, the frightening hotel situation. The hotel experience. You know, big I, thing with me is uh is Joe Milton because this is the first I I believe this is Harbaugh's first starter that he actually recruited and developed. No, there's nobody on the bounce, nobody uh, inherited. Uh, this is this. I mean, the one the 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 enduring question of Michigan football is how the hell did they get a quarterback? Yep. Why will no good quarterback want to go play for a guy who was a great quarterback and co- is a and had a tremendous success coaching quarterbacks, both in the NFL and college. And Joe Milton's the first one to be that guy who chose to play for him. And, you know, so what is his development? He is obviously a tremendous athlete. He had some moments as a sophomore, you know, not much, didn't play a ton. You know, what are we going to get? So I think that's going to be fascinating to say, hey, here you go. Put you out there in Minnesota and see what we got. Yeah, he's a big, He should have more a, sleepover parties with quarterbacks and less with punters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a kicker, wasn't it? Um, kicker, place kicker, yeah. Yeah, Quinn Nardin, maybe. Um, I think yeah, so. Yeah, Joe Milton uh, is is he's from Pahokee, Florida. He's 6'5", 243, uh, according to the roster. So he's a large, large, massive, massive human. And and I was told the reason Dylan McCaffrey left us, he got beat out by Joe Milton. So they're, they're putting all the all the eggs in the uh, in, in the Joe Milton basket. And they are due to have recruited and developed a competent Big Ten quarterback. I, I think you're you're 100 percent right, Dan. I mean, you knew McCaffrey couldn't have been special if he couldn't have beaten out Shea Patterson because Shea Patterson just was you know, he wasn't dreadful the whole time and he has a decent record, decent record as a starter, but he was certainly not a high end guy who was ever going to win you a conference title. He was not going to do for Michigan what Michigan, you know, sets out the year to do. And that was painfully obvious. There were times you felt bad for him back there. So, yeah, Joe Milton, it's it's sort of the, the fate of the Harbaugh era is on, is on Joe Milton now. And if I am right, Harbaugh's contract expires at the end of the 21 season, which I guarantee he is the only Power Five coach right now, unless there's some bizarre anomalous exception that has one year left after 2020 on his on his deal. Right. And it, right. So it's a fascinating situation because if Joe Milton flops, which who knows, right? Like he obviously beat out McCaffrey and was was clearly good enough that McCaffrey hightailed it out of town. Um, but if Joe Milton flops, boy, you know, with that schedule and that offensive line. This thing could this thing could really go sideways in in a hurry for Michigan. Uh, I mean, Patterson is not on an NFL roster either, so like yeah. it's not like you know you got cut in Kansas City as a background. Um, one favorite thing I'll get to you, a Pat. Yeah. Um, Urban Meyer, who I just I just think spends half his time on the Fox broadcast trolling. Yeah. Um, maybe not half, all of it. He de- <laughs> he declared Joe Milton a Cam Newton lookalike. <laughs> Nothing like putting a little. Yeah. Little pressure on him. Ah, he's got Cam Newton this year. He ought to be pretty good. <laughs> Look alike or play alike? 
I don't yeah, know. That's the I, thing. Look alike, yeah. Play alike, we'll see. <laughs> Haven't seen it yet. One of the things I like about Meyer on TV is he completely does not try to hide his biases. <laughs> they're yeah. just so, so complete. They're in his picks. They're everywhere. They're so completely nakedly <laughs> overt. I think he's very good on TV, by the way. Like, I, just, I think he's a good analyst. I, I think he especially like game analyst and he 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 brings a really good perspective. He's football wise I think as good as anyone on those shows. You guys agree with that? Agree. I love him like yeah when you give him film to break down and show you stuff, you know, like he does that on Big 10 Network during the weeks and it's great. I mean, it's fantastic his ability to analyze it and explain it so that you can understand it, you know. It's really good. I like- still complex schematics to like those of pedestrian football intellect like us and certainly Pat's is Pat's X's and O's intellect is far better than mine. Um, but like, yeah, that's that's his gift. He can like take it and make it easily digestible. You might be surprised to hear I like the salt. I like the. <laughs> <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, there's too many guys on these these analysts. And it's NFL, it's college, it's NBA, it's all college basketball where they're just trying to be friends with their. Yeah, they're all right. peers. Everyone's yeah. does a great job, you know. Oh, yeah. Every coach is a great coach. Every. So it's like, I, I mean, it's you look, if you're a Michigan fan, that's probably not fair to Joe Milton. Right. Uh, it's definitely not fair to him. So other than him and then maybe Michigan fan could be a little salty. Like, obviously, he's throwing huge expectations on Harbaugh. I mean, it's so clear what he's doing. But at the same time, it's like it's so clear what he's doing that it's just part of the act. And at least <laughs> yes. there's an act. You yeah. know, it's not just every guy's a great guy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's good. All right, my last schedule note here. I, to the best of my knowledge, I do not remember Missouri Athletic Director Jim Sterk complaining at length about the schedule that the SEC handed his team. But here's what they gave Missouri. They took off <laughs> Arkansas and Mississippi State. They added Alabama and at LSU in the first two <laughs> games. I don't think Ohio State's got that much to complain. I'm sorry, Nebraska's got that much to complain about. You've got the best, most talented team in the country, of course, Alabama. And then you have to go on a charter to a hotel with masks and whistles and everything to Baton Rouge. Unbelievable. So there could be a great skit that uh, the sportscaster, Andy Agar, does out of out of Michigan that are very funny of oh, Jim yeah. Sterk calling Greg Sankey. And Greg Sankey would be like, who? You're the athletic director. Where? Wait, wait. Right. Missouri's in our Big league? 12 oh, castoffs. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Big 12 castoffs. Hey, Herb, no. is Missouri in our league? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't you be calling Bob Bowlesby? Oh, wait. No, not anymore. Yeah. We, have a, we have a Missouri. <laughs> yeah. Show me state, man. You're going to see it. <laughs> You're going to see it. Uh, they've also got 12 guys who are going to be out for the Alabama game. Good way to start the season. Uh, I'm sure they have a lot of quality depth. <laughs> yeah. All right. Speaking of uh, the Big 12 in Pete Thamel's, what are you calling this? Takeaways? The takeaway? Ten call? takeaways. Ten, Ten takeaways. takeaways. My big takeaway is I miss working with Pat because they're a pain <laughs> to do and we used to split them on some Saturday. So yeah. Yeah. I'm still tired. Do you yeah. have to wow. do, do, you do, do you do takeaways now, Pat? We did. We do like a top 10. So oh, okay. I did that. Yeah. But I mean, you remember those takeaways would run like, 3,000 words oh, they could if yeah. you let them. And yes. So I did yeah. I did a 1,300-word t- top 10. A little easier. I like doing them, actually, but they're like I, – I like doing them until like 2.22 when I'm like, 
you know, cross-eyed Googling some like obscure fact. So, yeah. You have to have yeah. one line about well, the end's got to be quick, right? You got to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you posit yeah. this question. Is the AAC, the American, better than the Big 12? Uh, the AAC has three teams in the top 16. Obviously, that will change when the Big Ten comes back, but hey, whatever. Cincinnati, UCF. Who else is in there? Who am I forgetting? Memphis. Memphis. Memphis I'm sorry. Easy to forget them because they haven't played. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They, they played getting, once and then disappeared. They did once and then they had the maybe, maybe not party bus. And then, right. yeah, we haven't seen them since. <laughs> Hopefully. It's a good way to stay ranked. It's a good way to stay ranked. Get ranked and stop playing. Uh, not surprisingly, Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach, said he does think that. He thinks that the uh, – that was good. That was a really good quote you got there, Pete. That's an unbiased <laughs> take. Hey, <laughs> It's good journalism. Those, I do those think that. I, those 330 <laughs> games were pretty boring. I was just trying to call some coaches who played at noon, trying to, trying to spice up the old takeaways. So I was curious how Desmond Ritter played. That's all. <laughs> And and right before he called Greg McElroy, we can thank him for this, said that at the end of the kind of boring UCF Georgia Tech game. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Did say that that, yeah. that yeah. was like, that that could be. So then like Luke called mm-hmm. like five minutes later. I was like, hey, Luke, what do you think of that? And there he is. There it is. Journalism, accidental journalism at work. Well, let's uh let's give credit where credit is due. It did seem like uh these guys are UCLF looked terrific. Yeah, yeah. really good. Uh, Beating Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech had already defeated uh, um, Florida State. Florida State. So yep. you know they might be a little better than we think. You know, you're, you the, the real issue is the Big Twelve, right? They've had Iowa State lost, Kansas State lost, Kansas. Uh, I watched a bunch of the Tulsa Oklahoma State game. Uh, that yeah. was ugly. Terrible. We could uh, we could spend an hour just dissecting how gross that game was. <laughs> yeah, I mean the offensive line of Oklahoma State. Do they have Ooh. one? Terrible. Would be my first Terrible. question. That was dreadful. They they won sixteen to seven, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be bragging too much about that. So, if they had declared no one won that game, I would have been happy. It was a bad game. Philip Montgomery. Had- they had two offensive timeouts in the second half, and they had dead ball penalties out of both timeouts, <laughs> yeah. including including a delay of game. Yeah, out of a timeout. A and I believe yeah. I believe yeah. the delay of game was at the goal line. I, I'm getting them slightly mixed up in my header, but they, yeah, all, they I'm getting all their offensive penalties confused myself. I mean, there yeah, were so many yeah. of them. They had ten. Of, I broke it down. I actually went to the play by play. They had 15 penalties overall, ten of which were offensive. Four false starts, two delay of games, a partridge and a pear tree. Uh, <laughs> they're hold look. Oklahoma State's better. They have pretty good defense, so you're going to hold. That's fine. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to kill you for that. But and again, they had they missed a bunch of practices because of COVID. Their quarterback was in quarantine. For, I get it all. But like, you should be able to substitute. That's like the most basic function of coaching is being able to substitute. And what what Oklahoma State did was smart. At Tulsa was substituting so late. You have the right to substitute again. So they just were sauntering yeah. on the field and, and and prompting the delay of game penalties. I believe they burnt at least one timeout, maybe two, to prevent delay of game penalties. As uh, as I was right. watching, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was it was an absolute carnage from an execution standpoint in terms of just lining up on time and running a play. Yes. It, it, it was yeah. disaster. Sean McDonough was doing the game. He does not suffer fools well. And he was 
it took all the restraint in his body to not say, this is an epic disaster unfolding possession after possession. That was basically what his tone said. I think he said, this is how you get fired. Yes. I think he said that on the broadcast. I was like, now, as much as I just praised Urban Meyer for just not giving, a, and I love Sean McDonough, it's like, yeah. wow, that was aggressive on the Tulsa coach. <laughs> I mean, jeez. <laughs> yeah, well, he is, in normal times, he'd be on the hot seat. Now, Tulsa as a university is a mess, not just the athletic department, but as a university, right. Tulsa doesn't have any money. They just brought in an interim AD. They probably, if they had better finances, would have fired Montgomery in the past year or two, but that just hasn't that just hasn't been in the cards for them. So well, they almost beat Oklahoma State. They did. They did. So, despite right, here, themselves. Here's the long term question. Okay. If this gets to the end, Oklahoma runs the table or Texas runs the table, let's say, or I mean, even Oklahoma State, I guess, and UCF runs their table or Cincinnati, who do you take? It's a legit question and would be a heck of a debate because that's the one thing. The Big 12 did here with scheduling the one non-conference game. It has backfired on them badly because they played terribly. You know, we saw and we talked about last week, Iowa State losing Louisiana, uh, Kansas State losing to Arkansas State, Kansas getting housed by Coastal Carolina, then Texas Tech barely winning, and then Oklahoma State looking really bad for a long time. So they hurt their own strength of schedule by scheduling the games, playing the games, and not playing well. You know, UCF gets that win, and and I had several people. I, like, I put UCF fourth in the country in the top ten. I First of all, you have to have played a game. Secondly, you have to have played an FBS opponent. So I had number one, Clemson, number two, Notre Dame, number three, Miami, number four, UCF. And a lot of people were like, what? Who says Georgia Tech's any good? And I said, well, who's any? who says anybody's any good? It's, who has a quality yeah. win? It's as good a win as anybody's got. ULL, and that's it. Right. <laughs> You won by four touchdowns against a team that beat that won an ACC game the week before. I mean, that's that was a that was an impressive performance, I thought, by UCC, UCF. And so, yeah, if UCF and Cincinnati move forward, uh, and Cincinnati could play a you know a pretty good non-conference game this weekend against Army, uh, they help their schedule out of conference, and that game could set up to be a pretty important game if one of them can run the table. I think we'd have a heck of an argument. Uh, you know, we don't know if Baylor's going to get a non-conference game in. Yeah, probably not at this point. They may we not get a game in. <laughs> who knows? And then the Big 12 schedules these. They scheduled a bunch of cupcakes, and then they lost a bunch of them. But now you're looking at, at if you're looking at strength of schedule, I don't. again, we don't know what Georgia Tech will do this year. But Oklahoma State's got a win over a bad win over Tulsa. Texas manhandled UTEP and Oklahoma's got Missouri State as their victory. So FCS, FCS. So you're not getting anything out of conference. And now you're going to basically have to convince people that in conference is good. If those are your contenders, they may have boxed themselves in because if Georgia Tech has a decent year and UCF wins this thing, I mean, this might be the year where you go, not just uh, some sentimental choice, but Hey, look, we beat Cincinnati. We'll see if Memphis, how Memphis does. Yep. Uh, I mean, there could be UCF plays Tulsa. You know, I mean, they're going to, there'll be a, a thing there. So I think it's pretty interesting. I think that what the Big 12 did with its big flop two weeks ago was it took its middle class and sent them to Section 8. So if K-State beats Oklahoma this weekend, which they did last year, like it's not completely inconceivable, that's really going to hurt Oklahoma because they're not like, oh, it's a conference loss. They're like, yeah, you lost to you you lost to a team that lost to Arkansas State minus 
a bunch yeah. of starters. I think it was right. nine. Yeah, um, it was. So, like, all of a sudden, you have to be perfect in the in the, in the Big Twelve. So it's a little bit like these AAC teams who have had to live to stay in the conversation to be perfect. I think it's fascinating that in good scheduling by the AAC that November 21st, which is the second to last weekend of the season, Cincinnati is at UCF. I actually went to the Cincinnati-UCF game in Cincinnati last year, and I remember driving that Saturday morning to go to Ohio State. I think it was playing Michigan State, and I had to pull over to a Starbucks because uh, the Kansas notice validation story broke. You remember that, Pat? <laughs> oh, we yeah, were, sure do. We were still colleagues at the time, and uh, <laughs> so it was, like a, it was like a Saturday morning. I'm in, like, Lima, Ohio or something at a, at a Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> So, but, you know, Cincinnati really played well against UCF last year. And I think what people forget is they return their entire two deep of their defensive line. So they have all eight of their defensive linemen back. And they have a good amount of their players on defense, including Wiggins, the safety, who people think is a second or third round pick, who missed all last season. They're stout on offense with a third-year starter. I really think that UCF has certainly earned its hype over the years. But that since the way Cincinnati sort of figured out a way to beat up UCF up front and disrupt their tempo last year gives me gives me you know I I would I would put Cincinnati ahead of UCF right now and also don't forget UCF had 10 dudes opt out now how important they all were it didn't seem like very much on but that where that's really going to hurt you is at the end of the season when all of a sudden you have 10 less guys on your depth chart it's gonna it's gonna bleed into special teams it's gonna it's going to as you have injury and attrition throughout the year it's going to uh, it's gonna hurt some all right one team that i thought looked great on uh saturday night is miami at least offensively i, I think i tweeted out i don't know if the u is back because we always get you and texas are always back but they're certainly fun yeah uh good times De'Ara King, 300 yards passing, three touchdowns. Guys were open all day. Very, he had about 40 drop passes against by by their receivers. Uh, the 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 they celebrate the the turnover chain is just the greatest. I mean, they just just go bananas on the turnover chain. Everything was good. I thought impressive victory for Louisville. Where you got Miami? Miami's got to be ranked up there. Yeah, I got them third. Third, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the U looks good. Yep. Thoughts, Pat? You were I know you weren't there, yep. but yeah, you were no, near. but I watched the game and uh no, it's just it is it's a whole different vibe with them. They were so bad offensively last year, so limited, so sluggish. And so they went and they got a new coordinator and they got a new quarterback. Uh, both of them experienced guys and they fit them in and they're performing extremely well. Rhett Lashley's the offensive coordinator, is a Gus Malzahn guy. Uh so you know, there's going to be some tempo, but the main thing that I think there's going to be with him is you're going to be dual threat, you're going to be RPO, and you're going to run the ball well. Uh, and Miami right now is running extremely well, 497 yards running so far and 483 passing, so they're doing more on the ground than through the air. And this was a place where they really couldn't run or pass the last few years. So they just look a lot better in that area, and Derek King gives them – a dual threat. He's a better runner than any guy they've had in quite a while, and he just knows how to run an offense. You know, they had they they went from quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, and nobody ever looked like they really were fully sure what they were doing. And Derek King certainly is that. He's decisive. He's creative. Uh, he can make plays again, arm and legs. And so they are they are very fun to watch. And so far, they have been quite good. I mean, you know, we think UAB's pretty solid. And Louisville, 
is not bad to score 47 on Louisville, 31 on UAB. That's a very good start. So let me ask you this before I dive into my state of the U. Did you think the three long touchdowns were like great play design or just total coverage bust? Two of them were disastrous coverage busts. Okay. I mean, well, one of them, one was a disastrous coverage bust. One was a disastrous linebacker decision that I don't know whether it was his decision or he just made the wrong read or whatever. But I mean, no, they didn't even have to try. The player... The scoring players didn't even have to like change direction once. They just got into the open and were gone. That was it. So that was Louisville's defense has got issues. Yeah. No, they, and again, I'm not discrediting the win, but like it, it shouldn't be that easy against, you know, decent ACC competition to uh, to go in. Yeah. I think Dan hit it on the on the top here. Like, is Miami back? Is the is the new is Texas back? Right. Like well, until Texas starts playing well again this year. But I really uh, I. I enjoy Miami being relevant. Like when I started covering national college football in the early 2000s, Pat and I started at the same time, was just kind of the dying embers of Miami's relevancy. Like we just caught, like we, 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 we lived it vicariously and Pat probably lived it a little more with the Schnellenberger ties being in Louisville and anything like that. But really for 15 years, we have not really seen a super relevant Miami other than that one night against Notre Dame, um, you know, when the, when the stadium really rocked and, and they've had another brief moment or two, but they've had more infamy in the last 15 years than they've had like well-earned fame. And so like I welcome the return of Miami in, in every way possible. And I really do think that a lot of the good under Mark Richt was done. Manny Diaz was the engine of it. He was the local recruiter. He was the face Mark Richt, very good coach, not particularly charismatic, not the best promoter of a program. He's not, you know, he's not going to he's not going to be Johnny High School coach, buddy, seven on seven coach guy. You know what I mean? That's just not who he was. And I think some of that stuff, when asked of him, he just got a little bit tired of. You know, I my take on Mark on Mark Rick when he went to Miami from Georgia was like, if you can't maximize Georgia. How are you going to go maximize Miami? Like you underachieved at Georgia. Like Miami's a place where you need like the energy. You need to kind of like get get juice going a little bit. You need to have energy. So I give credit to Manny Diaz for delivering some of that. I give credit to Manny Diaz for making some difficult decisions. You know, right away, Danny Enos wasn't working. You know, that was very apparent, but you still like got a fire, dude. They ate a couple million bucks. I think Danny Enos had a three-year deal. So like, the, and, and again, Miami doesn't have any money. I mean, look, after the bowl game last year with Ed Reed coming in, there was like whispers around Manny Diaz. Is he the right guy? Like, is this going to last like that? And I never thought much of it took on credibility, but it was certainly like on the on the whisper. It was it was on the wire, if you will. That This whole thing isn't going, you know, in the in the greatest direction. So like credit my, Manny Diaz this. They are now Dan likes to talk about the Florida, Florida State, Miami triangle like they are right now roaring ahead of Florida State. And they have a home game day game where Florida State doesn't have, obviously, its head coach and play caller and Mike Norvell. So, like, the opportunity looms, and Florida State, quite frankly, stinks from the small sample size we had the other day. So, like, the, the opportunity really looms, especially the Florida State's offensive line, which is just hideous again, for Miami to, like, continue that momentum. And there's certainly, I don't think, in the realm where, of where Florida is yet, but they can certainly, like, be an ACC contending factor and then continue to uh, continue to build from there. Miami has played in one ACC title game in the history of uh, of that, and I think they won the division one other time, but they couldn't play in it because of Nevin Shapiro stuff. So, like, like, like getting Miami back to like semi dominant, semi relevant is uh, is really good for the sport. Now, I'm 
I'm excited to see it. Huge for the ACC, too, because Miami can get good really quick. I think last night they said they had two, two running backs from South Florida. One was the best running back from, from Dade County, one from Broward. Both freshmen playing really well. They're killing it in recruiting right now. Class of 2021, top 10, which is, you know, we haven't seen. And there's just tons of Miami, just tons of South Florida kids. It's, it's all Dade and Broward County. That's what they should be doing. And uh, they're exciting. Love having Ed Reed on the sideline. My all-time favorite players. Uh, just, he was he was kind of talking to the ref. The other, I'm like, that's going to yeah. scare the hell out of you. Exactly. Ed Reed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're, you know, a, a side a side judge in the in the ACC, and Ed Reed is telling you, "Hey, th- this guy over here is he's he's holding or whatever he's telling you." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know how we've discussed coach fights? I, I don't care who Ed Reed's kicking their all their asses, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> not. Don't fight Ed Reed. All right, I want to convene the um, people's court. Okay. All right. I want to convene the people's court in honor uh, of Ruth Bader Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> if we're talking Miami. You got to bring up Noah. All right, so uh, you two esteemed. I want your uh, decision on this. Uh, last week in Detroit, quite proud of this local story. Twenty-six-year-old Miguel Gomez, Allen Park, Michigan. Uh, he was driving down uh, Fort Street, which is a street in Detroit, and he came upon a bridge, a drawbridge, and the drawbridge was going up. They were opening the drawbridge so a boat could go through. Yeah. And Miguel Gomez Earnhardt <laughs> said, mm, I ain't waiting. He <laughs> floored it, went up the bridge, and jumped it, Dukes of Hazard style, <laughs> Evil Knievel, for landing on the other side where he broke the gate and I believe blew out all his tires. <laughs> Let me get the de- the full details here. He wrecked uh, his car, blew out the bridge's security <laughs> gate on the other side, and naturally was arrested. He was charged with reckless driving and two counts of malicious destruction <laughs> of property. <laughs> so my question to you, Justice... We'll start with you, Justice Forty. Should he be punished, or should you just, you know, <laughs> f it, man? <laughs> I, everybody has wanted to do that. Everybody oh, has wanted sure. to do the the drawbridge jump. Miguel Gomez of Allen Park did it. He is personal hero. But what do you think? That's you know the only problem with that is when you take off, you do have to land. <laughs> <laughs> and the landing is the hard part, obviously. This ain't the but, movies, Miguel. Yeah, right, exactly. There might be a closed gate at the other end, and you might destroy your car. Uh, <laughs> tear up all your tires. I think if you walk away and all you have left of your car is like your steering wheel in your hand, that's punishment enough. I would let him go at that point and say, dude, way to go for the gusto. Sorry about everything that you own. It's not ruined, but uh, you can walk free. I'd let him go. I want to know, before I make my ruling, I would want to know why he was in such a rush. <laughs> like, like, was there some reason he had to be on the other side? Was, like, the 30-pack of Bushlight only on sale? Because, look, we've all been to those drawbridges. They're a pain. They slow you down a little. But yeah. is it really more than, like, 15 minutes you know, so pragmatic. So pragmatic. What did what did Miguel Gomez Knievel really 
like need to get over for? Was it just for the thrill or was there like something, you know, was it, was it like kickoff of Coastal Carolina Campbell on Friday night and he was going to miss kickoff? So he just said, hey, I can't miss that. She had to clear as her plane and he just went and took off. So if he did not have a good justified reason, I think he like, first of all, gets the Darwin award for like stupidity for the year. And I would like double his sentence. Cause that's just like, there's oh. no way like <laughs> physics, Miguel, come on. The local WDIV TV interviewed the drawbridge operator. Good work right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is good. Hustle. <laughs> Quality quote here. He's sitting there. I looked, I said, no, he ain't. No. <laughs> I mean, this guy's got a boring ass job, right? Yeah, right. Lift the gate, down yeah. the gate. It's basically like elevator up. I mean, he's been probably. Do you know how do you get into that job anyway? I don't even know how you. But he's the he's been lifted up the drawbridge for years. Probably nothing's ever happened. Yeah. No, he ain't. <laughs> that's exactly oh. what you would say too. Like that. That's the most accurate quote. No, oh, yeah. he ain't. <laughs> <laughs> Over he went, blew out all four of his tires. Then he crashed into the other gate. And Andre Locke said the drawbridge operator. Unbelievable. It's a great That's name awesome. for a drawbridge operator. So he was uh, arrested by Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> Give him and hero. Bill Moose a, a talk show on the Longhorn Network. We'd all tune in. <laughs> there you go. Just went for it. <laughs> Uh, so where where are you, Justice Wetzel? We, uh, I no, say no, let the walks, man walk. Guy, guy lost his car, okay. is beaten uh, up. I mean, <laughs> he's not going to do it again. <laughs> no, he sure is. <laughs> and anybody else who tries it knows they're going to wreck their car now. Because you think. <laughs> so he's a hero. He is. He's <laughs> he a public service. He's, a, he's a, 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 yeah, a warning story or whatever. Like a yeah, cautionary, cautionary tale. tale. Cautionary tale. Because you go, well, I would like to do it, but. Now my fear would always be you just you just hit the other drawbridge and then you flip yeah, down. Oh and yeah, crap, right. I mean you die, right? <laughs> he made it to his credit. Yeah. I wonder how far it was. He avoided was, death. He cheated death at least. The, the drawbridge operator said he stopped raising it once he was going up to try okay. to help. So good. He's really the hero of this story. He is. Yeah. He gave that cell phone footage. That really would have been. <laughs> but this dude now doesn't have a car. I mean, good luck trying to get insurance to pay for that. <laughs> What's that state? Fa- uh, we've seen a thing <laughs> right. or two. Yeah, yeah. really? How yeah. about this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you're, you're not getting a lot of insurance help on that. I don't think so. Anyway, that's uh, that's where we're at. All right. You got some uh, better matchups next week. We'll talk about on Thursday, Kentucky at Auburn is a, is the big one. Army at Cincinnati or versus Cincinnati is going to be big. Uh, Miami FSU you mentioned, uh, West Virginia, OSU, SEC's coming. Uh, Pac-12 come, might be back by then, Dan. Pac-12, man, we haven't gotten into that. Uh, hmm. Who knows? I don't know what the pac is. Neither have they. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they, no, they it, there's nobody causing any tumult out there. Listen, start fighting with each other and we'll start covering your return. Get right. Bill Moose back to Washington State, firing yeah, shots. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Bringing the hotel keys into it. <laughs> After my dreadful 0-6, I did go 3-2, uh, and two, which is a cause for celebration when you go 3-2. Comeback trail. Mm-hmm. Comeback trail. Uh, I'm up to 5-3. and three. Sully, 7-11. Pat, 7-11. <clears throat> Pete, 9-9. Nine and nine. So, uh, Pete, you're leading with a 9-9 nine and nine record. Good job. Boy, we're um, bad. Yeah, I'm the tallest game-picking midget. Yeah, well... 
All right. So uh, we uh, well, let's give out the Heisman, right? We uh, yeah. we yep. Yep. give the Heisman once a year. Now we <clears> give it every week. Small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? Pat, who yep. won your small sample Heisman <clears throat> this week? My small sample Heisman goes to Josh Seliscar of UCF. Defensive lineman in his first college game. Ned's not played a college football game before. Had a red zone strip and recovery of Georgia Tech quarterback Jeff Sims. And then later had an interception. This guy was like a three-star guy. He had one power five offer from Virginia Tech, but it was like, you know, Army, Air Force, and some smaller schools. UCF gets him, plugs him in the lineup. First game, gets two turnovers on national TV. Way to go, Josh Seliscar. Small sample, Heisman. I am giving my small sample Heisman to Ulysses Bentley IV. Great mm. name. He's a redshirt freshman running back out of Houston. He plays for SMU uh, in this week. In SMU's victory over North Texas, Bentley. I mean, that's a good name for running back. 227 yards and three scores. He only carried the ball 19 times. When a guy goes for 19 for 227, it means he should, to me, it means he should have got 25 carries. Yeah, and go for 300. Yeah, but uh, they blew out uh, North Texas. So, uh, hey, if 19 for 227 and three scores, also caught a pass for 21 yards. That doesn't win you a small sample Heisman. I don't know what does. So congratulations, Mr. Bentley, on your small sample Heisman SMU Mustangs. He Pete. told the Denton Record Chronicle after the game that Pat Forty making North Texas his lock of the week motivated him. So, oh, was, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that was that was like the worst lock ever. That that thing was over <laughs> so fast in the wrong direction. That was incredible. Uh, well, we talk running back names. I'm giving my small sample Heisman to Sebo Flemister, Notre Dame oh. tailback, 13 carries. Buck 27, a cool 9.8-yard average, one touchdown. Notre Dame just completely steamrolled South Florida, as we talked about earlier, 52 to nothing, and old Sebo was the star. So my small sample Heisman will go to the Irish. We say many, many mean things on this podcast. We said many mean one things today. We're mean people, but sometimes we force ourselves to try to say something nice. This is what we call the Say Something Nice section of the podcast. Uh, Pete, we can start with you. Can you please say something nice for a change? I will finally say something nice. I'm going to say something nice about Skip Holtz and Louisiana Tech. One on the weekend's best finish. Uh, Louisiana Tech was down 17 in the third quarter. They were down six starters and 20 guys on there too deep from injuries, COVID, and contact tracing. They had their Baylor game canceled the week before. They came all the way back and won on a heel touch by an inch. Thankfully, some nut job didn't block the camera angle, or they may have actually lost on the uh, on the on Yeah, because that, that was an overturn. Yeah, that was an call. overturn. They yeah. The re- yeah. Fourth down, I think 14 seconds left, uh, four-yard pass. 
quarterback could have made it easy and run it in. He didn't do it. So Skip Holtz, after the game, and Skip Holtz has been a head coach for 16 years, guys seen some things. He said, we'll look back one day, and this will be one of the great wins any of us have been a part of because we, we had to do to get through with everything they went through. They, they obviously had a hurricane, Laura, which went through that Ruston area. They lost power, which led to an outbreak of, I think, 30-something players getting coronavirus. So anyway, some tough uh, tough couple weeks in Ruston. Nice of them to uh, go, go to Hattiesburg and gut out a win. So... My say something nice is about Skip Holtz and the Bulldogs. Pat, say something nice. Okay. I'm going to say something nice about the nicest man in college football. It's Brian Kelly, the coach at Notre Dame. <laughs> who the halftime cameras got him when they were just obliterating South Florida. I think it was 35 nothing at halftime. And Kelly stands up and basically says, I want blood in the second half. We're going to keep scoring and they're not going to score. But he's one of his lines from that is, I'm tired of being the nice guy. <laughs> and clearly, all of us, when we think, who is the nicest man in college football? You think of Brian Kelly. Not like we've ever seen him face just 19 shades of purple as he is just <laughs> steamrolling everybody on his own team, officials. Not that we've ever seen him go after media members relentlessly. Not that he's ever been portrayed as a snarling, vicious Doberman pincher of a coach. <laughs> no, that's no, not him. Not him. He is the nice guy. Just ask him. He's the nice guy. And he's tired of being the nice guy. So now, look out. We might see Brian Kelly not be nice. And Notre Dame might start really killing some people. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. I find it hysterical. Like, these teams, college teams, pro teams, all of them, want to like they limit the access of like their local beat reporter and their student newspaper and their you know everybody is limited they, they run around terrified that the local newspaper in these little college towns is going to write something that might possibly be i don't know anything just we just don't want anything written basically we'll do a zoom interview you know the poor, the college paper might rip us and then they allow like Full access to Brian <laughs> Kelly's halftime speech, right? Where he's literally just—I want to—I want to score every possession. He said, "I mean, like, just wh they do this in the NFL. You can, you can barely get anything out of the NFL, and then they show the ha the after thing where they basically we just uh, mf those. Uh, it's like really all access yeah. all of a sudden. Like, yeah. are you that scared of the South Bend Tribune or whatever yeah. the Stillwater?" I don't know. I know this. When I was at the Notre Dame Duke game, not only was the interviews by Zoom, which is fine, everybody's doing that, but you couldn't even ask your own question. You had to type in your question, and then some sports information purple person asked <laughs> for you of Brian <laughs> Kelly afterwards. And so there's no follow up. There's no nothing. Uh, you know, look, the same color is, as Brian's face. <laughs> and I will say this: the sports information media relations directors want to do more. This is all coming from the coach, but this is like like. You know, and I, I don't know what's going on in Notre Dame, but coaches in general are loath for anything, and yet there he is shouting on, you know, I don't know. Seems to be a disconnect. All right, I'm going to say something nice about the UTEP-Abilene Christian game that was late Saturday night that uh, had to take the place of Pac-12 after dark. Uh, college football basically ended at 10 o'clock. Ryan Brown, the great host of the... WJOX Jocks Roundtable down in Birmingham was was complaining on Twitter this should never happen, and uh, I reminded him that uh, they're on ESPN three. The Abilene Christian Wildcats were playing UTEP Miners in what was technically a college football game. 
was not a good college football game, but it was football involving colleges. All of a sudden, uh, my Twitter feed was full of like just a live discussion and jokes of random junkies. Because when you're watching Abilene Christian play UTEP on ESPN three, didn't even sound like the announcers were there. I'm sure they weren't. <laughs> you're basically at the living homeless under the bridge <laughs> stage of being a junkie. The I never I did things I I swore I'd never do for a fix. I crossed lines. I thought I'd never cross. I'm watching ESPN's three stream of a UTEP Abilene Christian game that's 17 to 13 and it's just god awful. So last night I was actually trying to work. Uh, someone at Yahoo was. So I'm on the Miami Zoom call trying to get quotes from Manny Diaz and Derek King. So I have my phone off to the side. And like, you know, I'm on there for 40 minutes or whatever. I looked down at my phone. I have like 27 text messages and it's like 1220 a.m. And I look and it's a live play by play of the rest of this podcast crew watching Abilene Christian text UTEP. Yep. So all of a sudden, this is some out of context Abilene Christian UTEP texting. Dan, touchdown minors. Dan, <laughs> Abilene Christian quarterback is a transfer from Iowa. Why didn't he go to UTEP? He's better than what they got. So bizarre. <laughs> Pat, I'm watching you have Emily Christian on ESPN3. This is pitiful. Sully, same. Dan, this is the homeless under the bridge level of college football. Sully, I can't look away. Yeah. Yeah, it goes on. And then Pat starts ripping Abilene oh, yeah. Christian for going Pat for a field goal. everything about it. Oh, come on, man. You're like down a touchdown and kicking a field goal with four or five minutes left to play. Like you're going to get another chance against that juggernaut UTEP. You got to go for it. Let's go. It, it, it was phenomenal. And and uh, it was. It was phenomenal. Uh, UTEP won. They moved to two and one. Both wins against FCS teams. But they've only won two games the last three years total against anybody. So, and uh, UTEP's got 12 games scheduled this year. They, they got a full schedule. <laughs> yeah. Right. They should schedule like 14. You know? Yes, keep scheduled. Anyway, this is what I'm going to say. Nice is that God bless college football because it truly makes people. There's enough of us around the country that are just lost causes with this that we're we're on there group texting. And yeah, I know Pete got like 26 texts. He did, his first text into the group thread was what happened. He didn't want to <laughs> read it. He's like, you know, <laughs> like did, did a coach pass out dead? Is like you know, yeah. it's like right, somebody got. Yeah. No, no, we're just arguing about no. UTEP. We're, we're, we're making fun of Dana Dimmel for not wearing a mask. That's right. <laughs> he wasn't having none of that mask business. All right. Anyway, that's it. That's our podcast. We'll be back uh, Wednesday previewing the big week SEC. Week coming. Let's do it. It's got, it's got season. We're easing in. We're ramping up like our, our guy in Detroit. We're going to get there. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.